to uh, explain to us the rebuilding of the walls, but even more specifically the gates that, uh, that these walls connect to. And walls are good, but the gates are important. Uh, you got to have uh, walls in your life. you got to have separation uh, from the world. We know that. If those are knocked down in your life, that you know, Satan will have a heyday in your home. If there's no, you don't understand where that boundary is with some things, uh, you have to seek that from the Word of God. You've got to seek that from Scripture. You've got to find out what's dangerous, what's not. You know, that's why sometimes with your children, you, you tell them, you know, we can't watch that program or we can't go to those places or maybe even though it's a birthday party, but because they're having it that certain place, we can't let you go to that because we have walls. And I know it feels like sometimes, oh, you're just such an unloving parent, but no, there's no more greater love than a parent that will protect their children from the spiritual dangers of life. Uh, many times children, you know, if we don't communicate that right, we don't have a right relationship with them, they're looking at these walls from the inside and they're, they're looking at them as somehow they're trapping me instead of understanding they're not there to, to keep you in necessarily, they're there to keep the wolf out. And, uh, but the problem is because the walls are there, you can't see the wolf sometimes. And, you know, with parents, we set up these standards and we protect them and, and they don't see the dangers, even though we know they're there. And as parents, we understand that they are there. We've seen them and many of us have been on the other side of the wall way too long. And so we know the wall needs to be there. But even within that and those standards of life, which I think are very much being neglected by God's people today, I don't think that, the, that Christians have near enough standards in their life. I think we're just going way beyond outside of the boundaries of protection. And that's what it's about. You know, your standards don't make you spiritual. Just because you have standards, make you, doesn't, it doesn't mean you're a spiritual person. The stand, standards are there to keep you spiritual. <laughs> you know, spirituality is a decision you make in your own heart about what direction I'm going in life. But if you want to maintain that and you want to grow as a spiritual Christian then you have to protect yourself because those things in the world, uh, you know, we say, hey, I want to follow God, but then on Monday we're going right into the wolf's den and, we're, and we're, we're losing ground. And so at the same time, the Bible says, uh, you know, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, but it says, and make no provision for the flesh. And so we have to make no prior preparation for the flesh to have its way in our life. So that means that there's certain standards we have to put in. We have to make sure we're not watching those programs and we're not listening to those radio things or music or whatever it is. And we've got to cut some of those things off because all the work that God is doing today on Sunday can be thwarted tomorrow if we're not careful. And, but even with all the walls in our life, we have to remember there's gates. So there's ways that we have to operate within this sinful world that we live in and there's connections that we're making daily with people, but we got to learn, you know, what, what the boundaries of those gates are as well. What is it that the Lord, how does the Lord want me to tie to this world? Well, you know he wants you to get the gospel to them, you know. But even with that, sometimes we look at the fish gate and we, we say, okay, I'm going to go jump into their situation so I can win them. Well, that's not necessarily soul winning. You know, in our youth, I remember my first ministry, our youth was really concerned. And they said, you know, I, you know here I'm, I'm going to public school and these kids, they want, to get, want me to come over. And yet all of them are not saved. They're all doing the wrong things. And I says, hey, 
I'm not telling you to cut off every person in your life, but I'll tell you this. If you're going to get together with those kids, make sure you put them in your territory. Don't go into theirs. Bring them into the light. Don't go into their darkness. So that's why I say sometimes there's a birthday party you just can't send your kids to. I remember we sent our kids to one birthday party at a bowling alley. We thought it was going to be okay, but the family was kind of carnal in their Christianity, and they had wrong music playing, and later on I found out about that, and I said, oh, my goodness. You know, I don't stand for that. So I says, well, from now on, we just got to be careful about that. We're not going to things like this. We got to know what's going on first. You know, you, I know you look like a stick in the mud, a fuddy-duddy, but hey, that's what protectors do. <laughs> you know, you're, you, you're protecting your family. And so we've looked at the sheep gate. That's in relation to salvation, starting from the, the north all the way down to the south. We looked at the fish gate. That's understanding our purpose and witnessing, reaching out into the world. We looked at the old gate. That's developing a strong foundation in your life, realizing that these things have already been laid. You don't have to make anything new. Amen. Nothing new under the sun, just simply fo- just following what's already been established. Amen. Uh, the fourth gate we looked at was the valley gate. That's the, the gate of humility and suffering. Being willing to suffer for the Lord and humble yourself in the midst of that. Uh, that's really the beginning of God using a Christian. If you're not humble before the Lord, I'm not talking humble before me. Don't come to me, oh, preacher, I, I just, I'm just nobody. And I don't want to hear that stuff. You go before God and talk like that. Then you've know, you got nobody to impress but God himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you stand before me, you stand in the boldness of the Spirit of God. You know what you are before God. That's all that matters. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It always says the humility has to be before the Lord, not before men. Okay? So us beating ourselves up and pretending like we're just so lowly in front of people, uh, you know, I've known people who don't put siding on their house because they don't want to seem like they're too uppity or they don't buy a nice car. And folks, that's not what we're talking about here. You know, humility before God. That's what it's all about. If you do that in a real way, it'll affect every aspect of your life. And then from after humility, of course, comes the dung gate. This is where the, all the garbage of your city gets thrown out into the Kidron Valley. And remember, we looked at that, that Kidron Valley. That was really what Jesus looked at when he was talking about Gehenna, the lake of fire, the fire that is not quenched where the worm dieth not. And that's, the, that's what all of our garbage is worthy of. Just is, It's burning in the lake of fire forever. And he says, those things we just need to get out, of the, get out of the city. Just throw them out the gate. Throw them into the valley. Let them burn. Amen. Let them burn. And so that's important. I think when we're humble before God, we'll start dealing with those issues in our life that we're holding on to things that we know are just refuse that we ought to be kicking out of our city. Amen. Then, of course, after that, it comes really in order where we have the fountain gate. And this is the gate of spirit filling. This is where the Spirit of God has control of your life. We know that the fountain gate uh, was by the pool of Siloam, which interpreted is sent. So God sends his grace and his spirit towards you as you humble yourself before him. And not only that, it was right near to the king's garden. And you know that when you're spirit filled, you're also exhibiting the fruit of the spirit. And there will be a beautification of your life because you love joy, peace. And I didn't get to go into all that when we were going through the lesson, but uh, that's an important part of it. Spirit filling isn't just boldness and to go witness, but it's it's the aspect of your long-suffering and your patience and your your joy level and your your love. And all these things happen at the same time. 
say, well, I just have the fruit of love. That's all I got. <laughs> no, no. If you've got the fruit of the Spirit, you have it all at one time, you know. And, and you got to let the Lord just exemplify that through your life. Or so you, you, you become a, a beautiful thing to the Lord when you allow the Spirit of God to control you. The next gate we looked at was number seven, was the water gate. And we know that the water gate in the scriptures there just, it didn't say they repaired the water gate because they didn't need repairing. The water gate is the word of God. And we looked at how Ezra last week stood at the water gate on his pulpit of wood and preached the word of God and the people would submit and say amen. And uh, how important the word of God is to your life and submission to that. That's talking about your Bible reading, it's talking about your church life, it's talking about the pulpit that God has put in front of you. All these things, you know, we ought not disparagingly look at the, the pulpit of, God, of God's uh, people in our lives. When that pulpit is set before you to say, Lord, this is just like Nehemiah's day. This is like Ezra standing up. They're opening up the word of God and making the sense thereof. And there were several of them that did that. Ezra let somebody else go in there and teach a bit. <laughs> you know, make the sense thereof. We do that here. We got a guest preacher coming on Wednesday night. And, and so forth. And so the Watergate, the, the seeking the truth in the scriptures, that's another aspect of the children uh, of, the, of our, uh, the believer's life that we have to start implementing. That's one of the gates that we have to consider. And then we're looking at number eight today. Number eight is the horse gate. You say, what in the world? What can you do with a horse? <laughs> you know? Well, Alberta, they do a lot with a horse. But the horse is an important animal in the scripture. It's... Um, I know over the centuries you've seen horses used for all kinds of things, but in this context, the horse had a very specific purpose. Notice that the horse gate is on the palace grounds. You, know, you see that in 2 Chronicles 23, 15, so they laid their hands on her, and this is talking about Athaliah. Remember, she was the wicked uh, grandmother that, that took over the throne, and uh, the, what was the son's name? I forget. He was hidden in the, in the temple, and for all those years... Until finally the priest uh, set it up where he could be exposed, where he could take the throne. And then, they, then she just cried, treason, treason. Well, she was the one that was tre- tre- treasonous. And so they just said, well, what you need to do is you can't kill her right here. Why don't you take her out to the gate and kill her? And you know where they killed her? It says, so they laid hands on her. And when she was come to the entering of the horse gate by the king's house, they slew her there. So that's a, it's, it's dealing with, with some real spiritual garbage when you're at the horse gate. You know, that was a rebellious woman. She took over the leadership of Israel, and she had no, no right to do so. She had no position to do so, and they had to take that back. And the only thing they could do with her is just slay her, because she just, there's no, there's no reformation for her. It was near the stables of Solomon that housed some I think it was 12,000 horses. And Solomon, it says in 1 Kings 10, 26, and Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. So I don't know what these stables would have looked like, but they would have made any stable you see in Alberta look pretty pale in comparison when you're dealing with these thousands of horses that would come through this gate. Now, are they just there for show? Well, most of the time today, we're just using them for show. The, the, the usefulness of horses has kind of had their day. Now it's kind of like horse shows and uh, rodeo or <laughs> whatever else. 
but really we're missing what, what they're all about here. Jesus Christ will be riding a white horse when he returns. Revelation 19.11, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he thus judge and make war. So he was making war while sitting on the back of a horse, and that's not past, by the way, that's future. So he, does, he, he opted out on the Sherman tank. And he says, I'll just take a, a nice white horse, the symbol of strength that I've given the people in the Word of God right from the beginning. Horses were not beasts of burden. They were used for battle. In Jeremiah 8, verse 6, it says, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course as the horse rusheth into the battle. Something about horses and battle. You know, there's some animals you can't bring into battle. But you even heard within the Second First, first World War, uh, they would use horses quite often, even though they did have machinery. But uh, sometimes they'd put horses on the battlefield to help people off the battlefield. Medics would use them, and they'd go right into the, the fray of the bullets. And they would go in and out. And then there's this one horse, I forget what it was called, but it actually got a medal. Because all said and done, it went back in and kept bringing soldiers out, you know, because it wasn't afraid. The strength of the horse. They weren't used for daily work. Donkeys were used by kings for transportation, as Christ did on the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But you know, oxen were used for work mostly. You remember Elisha when he was plowing with the oxen and Elijah threw the mantle on him and he said, well, let me go and first bury my mother. He said, what's it to me? I didn't call you. <laughs> I mean, you got to deal with him, <laughs> you know. So he went back and he, he killed the oxen and you know, gave away the meat and burned the plow and says, I'm not turning back. So the oxen were beasts of burden, but horses were reserved for war. It's an animal of war. It's an animal of strength, and you see that throughout the scriptures. God used them for symbols of strength. In Job 39, verse 19, Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted, neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him, and the glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage, neither believeth he that it is, that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, Ha, ha, and he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Wow, maybe we ought to go back to horses, amen, instead of these tanks. The term spiritual warfare relates to the battle that is now being fought on a spiritual level. Unseen, unseen. This is the thing, you don't see this spiritual battle. You see the effects of it, but you don't really see what's going on. I think when we went through our series on Daniel, we got a little glimpse into the heavenlies into the spiritual realm of what's going on there with the angels and the battle that's happening over your life you know you think they wouldn't be so interested but they are there are demons that are very interested in you and how they can use you but there's some angels out there that are fighting just as hard and even were even harder because they see the potential that that the lord has told them protect that person 
We've got to plan for their life. Don't let this happen, and they won't let it happen. But the problem is most of the time we're the ones that break down the hedge. Not like Job, the hedge was taken down simply because God chose. He says, go ahead, test my servant. But many times we're the ones that give place to the devil, it says in the book of Ephesians. So we take down our own hedge. We got no protection. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is how you know if you're carnal or not. When the only battle you have is with people, then you know you're a carnal person. Because you've got to understand, if you've got a battle with people, there's something far greater going on above that. And God doesn't want you to focus on that person. He wants you to focus on what the devil's trying to do. He wants you to start praying against that and fighting against that. That's spiritual warfare. That's the unseen battle. But so many times we get distracted by the, by the personal battles around us and it consumes us. And yet it has no, no uh, you know, effect on our, on our victory in life. We just get distracted and swirl around in our bitterness at what people have done. Not realizing that above that is a, is a strategy that's way beyond your mind and what you're comprehending today. Many people I talk to when they come into my office and they're battling with some serious, serious sin problems. And I ask them, what do you do when this becomes a temptation? And they kind of look at me blankly. It's like they're going onto the battlefield without a helmet facing the wrong direction with a gun with no bullets and say, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Folks, that's one thing that we all got to get through our heads that we have to have a strategy for what is happening in your life. What is going on in your life? Have a strategy. The devil has a strategy for you. God has a strategy for his children, but you've got to get on board with it. You've got to allow yourself to be involved in that warfare in a way where you're under the protection of the Almighty as you're going into battle. That means you've got to know who your enemy is, and that's why when they went to the promised land, they first sent in the spies. So all they should have just gone in by faith. Well, what he was teaching us is, Everything you do, you have to understand that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. And they needed to understand that, okay, there are giants there. There are all walled cities there. But then when they look at that and they began to compare to their God, they say, but we're well able to overcome. So I'm not going in blindly here. I know what I'm going to face, but I also know the power that I have available to me as I go forward into battle. But most people, they don't think that way. They're just, kind of, they're just walking around getting shot left and right, and the bullets are boom, boom, boom. You know, the Bible talks about the fiery darts of the wicked. But it says that we should take, up, we should take the, the shield of faith, wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Every one of those darts. You say, what are those darts? You experience them every day. You all get hit every day with a dart of the wicked. Your thought life your fears, your anxieties, your depression. All these things are darts and some of them consume your thinking because you don't understand that you can actually even overcome them. It's like, oh, here we go again. Pop some pills. <laughs> Folks, that's not the answer. The shield of faith is able to quench all the fiery darts. They're fiery because when he puts them into your mind, if you don't catch them and take that thought captive, it's going to engulf your mind. You're to be consumed by that all day long. Oh, that person. 
How dare they do that to me? How, what are they trying to do? And, and we've got the spiritual warfare going on, and we don't even understand that we're in one. We're on the battlefield, and the bullets are just you know, going through us, and we're not even facing the right direction. <laughs> we've got to have a strategy for life. And by the way, not every thought that you have in your brain is yours. That's a comfort. <laughs> I, I, you know, if I would ask for a raise of hands your day, how many of you actually contemplated suicide? I'm not saying that you actually did it or were even close to trying to do it, but how many of you have actually had a thought in your mind that you should maybe end this misery of a life that you're living? I can't tell you how many people I've heard that from. Where did that come from? Was that you or was that the devil? Well, it was the devil, but he, wanted, he wants it to become yours. He wants you to claim it and make that your desire. But I'll tell you something, you would have never tried to even think about killing yourself if the devil wouldn't have been there. The Bible says, no man hath yet hated his own flesh, but he nourisheth it and cherisheth it. We're very good at taking care of ourselves above everybody else. <laughs> I always give the example, if I'd come up to you with my two fingers and go up to your eyes, ready to poke you in the eyes, what would you do? <laughs> no, you'd go, <laughs> you'd stop that. Because you know what, it's important to protect yourself and you know that. So when you start self-harm, cutting yourself, you start doing, and there's a lot of people that have done that, that is not, that didn't start with you. That started from the murderer, the liar, the one that wants to kill everybody. It's the devil himself. And the reason why it got so far is we didn't have a strategy, strategy to deal with the thoughts, that initial hit. And then we allowed ourselves to go into sin and, and deepen that stronghold in our life. And then we're not even t- tearing down strongholds. And the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Verses like that ought to be memorized. You ought to have that verse memorized in your mind. Amen. Every time you have an imagination, what's an imagination? That's anything that God didn't say. Amen? Well, I just think this... Well, did God say that? Well, no, but I just think... Just shut your mouth. Take it captive. The devil's just trying to bring you on a road down. Self-condemnation. You know, worthlessness. There's something wrong with me. I'm defective. You know? And the devil's just trying to change your identity. Just like he's doing in the world today with all these children in school. They're being taught, hey, you don't have to be what you are. And folks, it's not that they're, they're gay or they're this or they're that. It's the thing is they're being inundated with thoughts and they don't know how to combat that with truth. Because it's been so long since the Bibles have been in the, church, in the schools where they have read, you know, God made them male and female. If those kids would have that verse in their mind, with that, if that teacher would say something, they'd say, well, that doesn't line up with the Bible. But they don't have the Bible in their hearts anymore. They've got nothing to combat that. And on top of that, whoever does say they're just male and female, they're the enemy. They're the bad people. That's the world we're living in. But you're the one that loved them. You're the one that will help them. You're the one that that would be willing to fight for them. But the devil's taking away all of our offensive ways to help these people. 
hiding them in their, in their destruction. He's a murderer. He's trying to murder children, guys. I mean, my goodness, uh, it hasn't it dawned on us yet that they're killing millions of babies every year in our very own country? That euthanasia is on a rise in our country like no other country of the earth? Now they're just anybody that wants to die, you can die. A vet calls and says, hey, I'm, I'm battling through these thoughts about battle and the things that I've gone through. Oh, well, have you considered maid? That's what they offer them. Why? Because we're silent. We, we, our preachers aren't preaching and our churches aren't strong and we're not out there telling people the truth of the word of God. If they would just hear the victory that they can have in Christ. Amen. Oh, the strength that we have. Oh, how we need the horse gate in our life. We need that. We can't be these mamby-pamby Christians that don't fight. Don't fight for yourself. Don't fight for your families. Let them all walk over you. Well, they're the authorities. Well, folks, when they go against God, that's no authority whatsoever. We have an ultimate authority with the Lord himself, and nothing has the right to remove that from our lives. You need to stand, and it will cost you. Don't cry about it if it costs you something. That's when the Lord says, happy are ye when you suffer for conscience sake, for the, for, for the good sake, for righteousness sake. But we're not there today. We're crying. If we got to wear a mask, we're crying. And me, me, you know, my goodness, don't wear a mask and don't cry about it. They give you a ticket, smile. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. We're just a bunch of baby thumb suckers. <laughs> oh my goodness. Why is this battle so important? Nehemiah 3, verse 20. I guess we'll read our text. It says, From above the horse gate repaired who? The priests. So the priests repaired the horse gate. The Bible says we're in holy priesthood, the children of God. So who's going to repair this gate? It's going to be those that, are, those that are closest to God. Those that are on the front lines, they were the ones that were doing all the service for the Lord. You want to know who's going to be the one that's in the spiritual battle? Those that are at the front doing the work of God. That's what's going to happen. You say, well, then I don't want to be at the front. <laughs> well, you just sit at the back, coward. Sit at the back. All I know is one day when Jesus comes, he's not going to be giving you a lot of attention at the back there. And the kind of attention you're going to get is one that you don't really want, <laughs> you know. But those at the front, those that stood and that were willing to take a few hits, always say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Priests repair the horse gate. Not only that, notice what it says, and everyone over against his house. So you know what they did? They, they, they protected themselves where their house was. You know the importance of learning spiritual warfare is to protect your kids, protect your wife, your family. You've got to fight spiritually because you need to fight for your family. It happens where uh, our children suffer terribly because we're not fighting for them. We think it's all automatic. We think that somehow that, that our kids will just be okay. They will not be okay. 
You need a, a, a man of God and a woman of God to stand up in the home and to put up the standards and take the hits and all the misunderstandings that the kids have. You need to be the one to develop the relationship with them. You need to build the, the cords from your heart to theirs. But at the same time, you say, no, you can't do that. I love you too much to let you go with that person. And you know what? Just because you want to marry somebody or they like some girl doesn't mean that's a right girl for them. And it's going to take mom and dad to say, you know what? This isn't right. And I realize in the world today, it doesn't really matter. They can do what they want. They can go to a public uh, uh, you know, justice of the peace. They can do, but you know what? Whenever you put your stamp of approval on something you know is not right, you are tearing down your own house. You're tearing down your own house. Yes, they will do what they do. They may rebel on you. They may leave the home, and that hurts terribly. And there's nothing worse going through with a live child is to see them in deep sin and, of course, in a, in a state of rebellion. The only thing worse than that is for them to be in your home infiltrating your other children to do the same thing. Amen? It's going to take mom and dad to stand up and, and make some decisions. But these days, oh, no, but people wouldn't like me doing that. Folks, I'm not saying forsake them. I'm not saying don't try to reach out to them. I'm not saying don't uh, constantly tell them you're praying for them and I, we want you to be right. But folks, you've got to take a stand for righteousness in your home or you're, just, you're the one destroying them. They're using you as the example of why I can get away with what I'm doing. And dad ought to never be that person. And sure, dad's the one that will be cut off sometimes because he's holding the line. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That means you hold on for the long run. You hold on for the, for the, the end game. Not just for the moment by moment. This day, I want them to like me. Sometimes they won't like you. But as you stand for righteousness sake, ultimately they will turn back. Because you've given them the word of God. You've read them the scriptures. You had your cords developed from your heart to theirs. They know you love you. And ultimately what will happen is they'll say, you know what? <laughs> Everything I'm getting in this dirty, rotten, stinking world is hurting me. The only people in my life that truly care is my family. And it may take some time for their thick skulls to get it. But they do get it. Maybe when they are old. But we've got to take the right steps. We've got to have some warfare and protect our own homes. Priests, those of you who are on the front lines. But I can't tell you how many family relationships have taken men from the front line to the back line. Because I'm not willing to stand for right. So I'm going to take the back line. No, sir. Remember, everything you do is all about Christ. The Christ-centric principle, it's all about him. He's above all. He's above your family, your wife, your children. If you can't put Christ above everything, you'll never love your children right. And you may have a hand in actually destroying them. Unless Christ is center of your life. Oh, it's hard. Jesus had to make some hard decisions too. He had to take some hits. But he stood. He did the right thing. Amen? And I understand, I'm not here to make anybody feel bad about past mistakes. We've all made them. But what I'm saying is, there's a warfare ahead of us here. We're in it right now. 
We've got to start making decisions for our family to protect them. We've got to battle. We've got to battle. You can't take a back seat. Amen. We've got to fight the way the scripture says to fight. Standing upon the principles of scripture. Praying for them. Loving them, of course. But never compromise. Never. Don't allow sin in your home. Just because you got a child that loves heavy metal music doesn't mean you allow it in your home. And dad, you better be the one to go down there and grab that CD and break it, burn it, whatever you got to do. You've got to make that statement because the devil is testing you. He is seeing whether you're going to work with him or not. Because it's a spiritual battle and it's unseen. Amen. And I'll tell you something, with heavy metal music, I, hope, I don't know if anybody here has a problem with it, but there are demonic influences. Satan is working through that music. If heavy metal music is in your home, Satan has a hold of your home. And you've got to fight it. That's a spiritual battle. You've got to destroy it from the home, not just sell it and give it to your neighbors. You need to put it in a burn pile. You need to burn it. And then you need to say, Lord, I'm going to dedicate this home to you, every corner of it. I dedicate it to you for your control, for your consecration, and chase the devil out. I know it's hard can't tell you how many homes I've had to go into and pray through them because of situations like that where parents have allowed too many things in that started hurting the family. It's satanic. That's the battle we face. Your battle's not against your kids. And kids, the battle's not against your parents. We, fl- we wrestle against, we, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. They love it just sitting up there all invisible like just watching you get at each other's throats. They say, wow, this is working well. They don't even acknowledge that we're here. <laughs> Yet they're the ones doing it. Right from step one. Amen. Fight, parents. Fight. Spiritually, it's amazing what you have as an authority in the home. If you go into your home as an authority and you claim that authority that God has given you, that Christ has given you, and you say, guess what, devil? Your day is over here. I take back the authority that I've given to you through my complacency, through my compromise, and I'm submitting back to the Lord. And I'll tell you something, the devil flees. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a true principle. He's not that strong. (laughs) What he gets us with are the emotional ties. That's how he gets us, through the emotions. But you'll find that you'll start fighting scripturally. He doesn't have a chance. I can tell you my first ministry, there's so much spiritual warfare there. I had people coming to our church that just began shaking in the back. <laughs> I had one lady that told me that, that, uh, that, that God had talked to her and said that, that I was his son. Me, the preacher. And that she was talking about how that she had bleeding come from her palms and different things like that. She, I could sense that the devil is trying to manipulate her and trying to manipulate me through her. And I just shut it down. I says, no, that's not true. <laughs> just went straight to Scripture and just bam! Knocked that devil flat in that situation. She never got straight, but he sure didn't get any ground in my life. I had one guy come in. He says, if I told you who I was, you, you wouldn't believe me. I says, you think you're Jesus, don't you? How'd you know? Yeah, duh. I wonder. The battle that we're in these days. I says, have you ever been to a sweat lodge? Yeah. 
I says, that where somebody told you you were Jesus? He says, yeah. I says, I'm going to tell you something. That's not how God speaks to men. I says, this is how God speaks to men. I showed him the scriptures. I shared with him the word of God. And he started weeping like a baby in front of me. And I prayed with him, and I prayed over him. But I don't think he got things straight. But I'll tell you something. That day, the devil thought he had something going on there in that church. And he found him. He came in there. He went flat to the ground. All because lifting up the shield of faith. Remember, I had one, young, one, one friend of mine, way back, we were involved in heavy metal. And he had given himself in a deep way to heavy metal music. And, and a lot of it was satanic in origin. And uh, later on, when I got right and I started going to Bible college, I would see him periodically on the streets and I'd pull over and I'd say, hey, how you doing? And I remember one time we had this little bit of a thing happening where he just began to talk and it was just foolishness and the things he was saying about the Lamb of God and, and you could just tell it was just satanic in origin. And I just, so, oh man, I tried to share some scripture, but it, it was just too off. I had to go. That night he calls me on the telephone. He says, your little rebuttal today didn't work, did it? See, the devil was talking to me. So what did I do? Went to this. I started quoting scripture. First, his voice was all deep and muffled. And as I began to read scripture and I began to pray, his voice returned to normal. By the end of the conversation, it was like I was talking to my old friend again. See, that's the power of Satan. He's real. (laughs) I'll tell you, he doesn't have a chance against this. (laughs) That's why you need the water gate before the horse gate. Amen? You need the word of God before you start taking on these battles. If you you don't believe you've got the good book here, you don't don't believe there's power in the scripture, then you'll never win these battles in life. But they're real, and I don't mean to do this to scare you. Uh, Folks, I could tell you many, many more stories over and over and over of different situations like this that I've faced. Satanic really satanic influences uh, coming into my life like that. Uh, I remember many times in my first ministry, our home, there's strange things would always happen. It's a very spiritistic, a lot of witchcraft in that city and spiritism and all kinds of things. And, I, and we would get all kinds of weird things happening around our home and outside, not really in, but outside while we slept and so forth. I, I, would, I would get so sick and tired in the middle of the night. I don't know if you, you would do this. I, I got so tired of it. I just said, I'm done with this. And I went out that door and I went to the back and I looked around and said, what in the world? Nothing there. And I just said, you know what? This is the devil. The devil's just trying to mess with us. So I went around that property and I started praying. And I said, Lord, this property is yours now. The boundaries of this home is all yours. Ever since, it never happened again. Gave it back to God. Neither give place to the devil. He had a big place in that city. But there's one place you look down, there's a little light just shining in that one little lot. The devil's looking, ooh. You know how many times I had Jehovah's Witnesses trying to come and get at me? Mormons, over and over and over. And I kept standing at the door and giving them scripture and counteracting what they were saying with the word of God. One day I came home from church and there was a Jehovah's Witness standing in my driveway trying to convert little children that were in my neighborhood right on my driveway. I says, you get out of here. And I chased her off. And I says, those, those kids, what they had, and I says, give me that. I says, don't you be listening to these people. They do not believe in Jesus Christ for who he is. I rebuked her. 
Oh, they're all offended. Well, yeah, you should be. <laughs> you should be offended at yourself and your neglect of the Word of God. But folks, it's a battle. It's constant. It's constant. But what gets you through it is this book right here. Amen? Amen. I'll tell you, many times the battle happens in our homes because we ourselves are not protecting ourselves the way we ought to personally. We're, we're not dealing with our past. We're not dealing with our garbage. You know, we have our, our lies that we believe about ourselves since we were young. And we, and we know we get triggered all the time. Folks, if you get an emotional outburst or something causes you to act in a way that's irrational periodically, you don't just mark that up as like, this is normal. See, what's happening, you're getting triggered. There's something you've hidden behind a wall in your life that periodically when something happens, it gets triggered and it jumps over and it, it shows itself. It's not normal for you to be emotionally weird. You understand that? That's my way of putting it. Do you understand that? And many times you don't even know what the source of that is because you buried it so well in the past. It was so hurtful that you said, I just don't want to go there ever again. And you've convinced yourself it hurts too much to deal with this, so I'm not going to go there. But guess what? If you truly want to have victory, you've got to face the pain of your life. You've got to look it square in the eyeball. Because as long as you don't, you're giving that thing power in your life, and God, you're saying you're not powerful enough. But he is, and I've seen people have great victory as they began to face the past issues of their life. And it always, it always reveals itself in a lie. You know, when somebody comes to me and says, oh, my kid's having a problem, I says, what does he say? Well, he says, I don't like you. I said, no, no, what does he say about himself? That's how you find out. Oh, well, I'm just a piece of garbage, they'll say to you. You, you kind of dismiss that as something that doesn't mean anything. No, what he's doing is he's revealing to you what he believes about himself. This is what's been feeding his behavior the whole time. Just like Cain, when he felt he was not accepted, the next day he went out and he killed his brother. That's why we do bad things. Amen? Many times prostitutes do what they do because they had some problems with their, their dads. Or maybe they've had abuse and they feel worthless or dirty. Sometimes they just give up and they say, well, if that's what I am, then this is what I am. Or sometimes they try to counteract that. That's why most people that have a superiority complex that you would say, oh, they think they're something, are really people that think they're nothing. Because they're trying to counteract what they really believe about themselves. They try to put on a show to show you that I'm not what I feel I am. Yet when they go home at night by themselves, they're, 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 they're condemning themselves. They're attacking themselves verbally as they look in the mirror. That's spiritual warfare. This whole thing with, with gender fluidity and all, that's spiritual warfare. That's Satan planting thoughts and using people. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, through vain deceit, through the traditions of men. You just got to be careful what people put into your mind. That's why I say, if you're going to put your kid in a school, you better know who you're there being taught by, and you better know exactly what they're being taught. Because whether you think you're going to stand before God as some kind of innocent person, you are not. He put you as the protector of your home. And I know that's a harsh thing today. Preachers don't say that. They just don't say that anymore. They're scared. You get mad at them. I don't care. I'm going to say this because you need to hear it. 
We got to protect our kids. Look how bad it's getting. Then we got people. I had a guy on the phone this last week. Yeah, it's so bad. I'm getting close to thinking. I may be <laughs> close to thinking. I would have left 10 years ago, man. The moment they took the Bible out of the schools, you know where it was going. They don't let you pray, but they'll let the Quran being read. They'll let you, the, the Muslims have prayer meetings, but they won't let Christians pray. I wonder who's in charge. My goodness, man, we got to get smart about this. But we are living in a fog as Christians today. Because there's no battle. Because you know what? We're just victorious all the time. We just go through life and everything's going to be okay. I'm sorry, it's not going to be okay. Your children are going to go through hard things if you don't stand up and start protecting them. And they'll, you say, oh, well, the Lord will forgive them. <laughs> My goodness, I'll tell you something. When you get into an accident with your car, that door just doesn't close the same ever again, no matter how much you bring it to the auto wrecker or to fix that door. What I'm saying is everything they go through, every sin that they bring into their life will leave a scar on their life. What kind of parent would say that's okay? It's not okay. Hey, man, it's not okay. And I understand sometimes it's out of your control. Sometimes you cannot make that decision. They just do it. And folks, it's not always your fault that kids rebel. we got a great Heavenly Father. He's had a lot of rebellious kids. But sometimes it is. That means if you're not holding up the Word of God and you're not standing upon truth, I mean the whole truth, not just this militant lifestyle of let's build the walls. I mean... It's about loving your kids and having a relationship and, and building cords to their heart at the same time so that when the world pulls on them, those cords in your heart, they're pulling so hard and they say, oh, I don't know if I want to break these cords for those cords. And ultimately they look back and say, no, I don't want to give up my family. And they come back to you. But if they don't have the choice, I mean, if you're not going to stand, you're allowing them to build the cords to their heart to the world while they're safely tucked underneath your protection. You understand that? <laughs> so you have to make a choice. You have to say, no, this is not allowed because it tests the cords and it keeps the world from developing stronger cords to their heart because you can be sure that this world is, is a platform of Satan himself. It's what he uses to get into the life of you and your family. So that's where you fight. You look around you. How is the devil influencing my child? What's coming into his life? What's going on on that computer? What's going on on that phone? Well, what's that girl want with my boy? <laughs> oh, well, that's nice. They like it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Any girl who wants to marry my boy, they got to be a girl of character. They got to be going to church. They got to love God. They got to be saved. They got to be a part of their local church where they love the Word of God. Not just somebody that, oh, they're just, well, as long as they got somebody. I mean, that's just foolish, man. I mean, what do you want them to be a part of the statistics? Don't. I mean, at least put up a little fuss about it. Curtis Hudson had the message, you know, fight, die, fuss. Ever heard that? Some things you fight about, some things you fuss about, some things you die about. You know, sometimes we're, we're dying for things that we ought to just be fussing about. <laughs> you know? But sometimes... We're fussing about stuff we ought to be laying our life on the line for. Amen? It's an important battle. 
Exodus 20, verse 5 says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. It's amazing. When God told Abraham, when he chose Abraham, he says, Shall I keep this thing from Abraham? Talking about Sodom. Shall I keep this thing from him? For I know that he will teach his children after me. Wow. He knows whether you're going to teach your children after you. Then he says, and I know that they, talking about the children, will keep my commandments. (laughs) Generation, generation, generation. But you know what? When you don't deal with yourself and you don't deal with your lie-based thinking, you don't deal with your bad behavior, you don't deal with your emotional problems, you don't deal with the way that you deal with people and issues, your children will learn that. They'll learn the same lies that you tell yourself. They're going to take that. Mothers, your daughters will learn the same lies you say about yourself. They're going to implement that into their hearts. And that's why it says unto the third and fourth generations is a cycle. I remember one time I counseled a daughter, a mother, and a grandmother. All three of them had the same stronghold. And the grandmother never lived with the granddaughter one time. How'd that work? (laughs) That's because the grandmother passed it down to the mother, and the mother passed it down to the daughter. And they all had the same lie-based thinking. It's because when you start dealing with stuff, or don't deal with it, your children learn from you. If you're a jealous person, oh, they don't let me do anything in church. Guess what your children are going to start saying? They don't let me do anything in church. You're creating jealousy in their heart. You're destroying your kids. Instead of making them love their church and love their pastor and love their teachers, they're starting to despise them just because of mom. That's why the Bible says that the foolish woman plucketh down her house with her hands. How many of you would say, I want to pluck down my house with my hands? (laughs) There's not a mother here that would say that. Even a mother that is doing it doesn't want to do it, but they're doing it because they don't understand they're involved in a spiritual warfare and they're, they're living in a fog. They can't get past their own issues to the point where they can't see the needs of their children. I've, sometimes I've gone to dads and say, you need to understand now. <laughs> this thing that you've been hearing, your boy's been lying to you about it. Oh, really? Oh, I guess. No, no. <laughs> your boy is lying to you. <laughs> and he's exemplifying the same behavior that I see in you. Deal with it, man. But you know whose fault it is? Oh, that preacher. <laughs> I'm just like, My goodness, man, I'm just the one brave enough to tell you. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) My goodness, deal with it. Get your head out of the fog. The Bible talks about the ostrich and the head in the sand. Many times that's what we are. And yet our eggs are all being taken, stolen. You know, let's not do that. Let's fight. Fight the good fight. That's the strength that God has given us. He's given us such a way to overcome Satan's attacks in our life. But you've got to get over yourself first. Those, guess what? Those little flare-ups you have and the anger and the emotional upheaval, that's not normal. My peace I give unto you. My peace I give unto you. Why are we taking his peace? Because peace is related to truth. 
Anxiety and anger and all these different things are related to lies. And he says, you can't have my peace if you're not willing to take my truth. Amen? I just want peace in my life. You're not going to do that by cutting everybody out of your life. You're going to do that by bringing the truth into your life. That's when peace begins to show. Amen? And it's hard. It's hard, especially if I live my whole life not having truth in my life. And I've got to make changes. I've got to tell my kids, and we can't do this. We've got to be careful about this. Huh? We never had a problem. Or, or how about this? You have failed as a parent, and now your children, you're seeing them fail, and you're sitting there saying, well, right, what right do I have because it's the same thing I did? My goodness, your head is really in the fog. So now you're going to sacrifice your kids because of your failures? How about let's just stand up and fight for our families and say, yes, I did mess up, but that's not where I am now. I'm standing on the truth, and we're going to bring you to the truth. Let's just follow the truth, amen? Don't bring your past into this, but that's how Satan's going to manipulate your thinking and hand over your kids to him. Well, I don't have the right because I've done... Dad, there's a reason why you're in that home. It's not that sit there and suck your thumb about how, how bad you've been. You're supposed to be there as a man of God standing up and saying, yes, I did mess up. And if your kids throw it in your face and say, you know what, that's exactly what I am. But by the mercy of God, I'm able to stand upon the truth today. I wouldn't do this if I didn't know the truth was right. Sure, they'll only use that for a little while against you. <laughs> I'm just saying don't use it against yourself. Amen. But I can't tell you how many parents I've heard say that. Well, you know, we didn't start our marriage right, so how can we expect our children to start it right? Well, yeah, if you want to continue the third and fourth, just think about their, their, your grandchildren. Are you fighting for them? Fight, fight against your own house. Fight for your house. Your house is not just you. Your house is your children. Your house are your grandkids, your great-grandchildren. This is what your house, people pass down their homes to their family. You pass down your heritage. That's what you need to do for your family. Amen. It's a battle. But all I know is the horse is a symbol of strength. Now, I know I got a lot more to say, but we're not going to do that today. (laughs) All right? I think I've only preached about half my message on all of these. But folks... I just want to encourage you. I don't know how the Lord has used this, but please, if there is something that the Lord is bringing to your mind, forget me. Uh, it's not about me. Uh, okay, I'm not right in every area. I, maybe I said something that wasn't quite, I don't know. But you know what? Whatever the Lord put on the top of your head right now, don't throw that to the side because of some excuse. Deal with it. You want victory? You want things to get better? Then you've got to start fighting God's way. Casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Every justification, every reason why you're continuing the way you are. You have to compare that to the scripture and say, is this a right way to live and rule my home? And if that rule is not right or if that idea is not right, you need to let it burn. It it, it ought to go out the dung gate. And bring some principles that will protect your kids. Amen? You guys get what I'm saying tonight? Amen. Amen.